it just escalated to the point where I just wanted to deep dive and figure out what I could do, leverage my knowledge and create a classroom setting because many of these dogs need to work around other dogs and people. It wasn't enough to do private lessons. They needed a classroom setting. And so how do we do that to be effective and give dogs space and time and educate the humans? Welcome back to Telltale Dog Podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein. And I have with me again, Alicia Heronchuk, who is a certified professional dog trainer located in the Philadelphia area. Hi, Alicia. How are you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing okay. Thanks again for, for coming back on. Today, we're talking shy dogs because you actually had, is it called an article? Yes, it was a journal um, submission for um, the IAABC, which is the International Association of Animal Behavioral Consultants. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. That's always exciting. That's peer reviewed. That's a big deal. Thought it was. It was fun. A little bit of a labor of love, I'll call it. Yeah. And it's very in-depth. So we'll go over it a little bit today. So how did you first get interested in working with shy dogs? So I guess I just saw a need and, you know, being a big softy and an emotional attaching kind of individual, I just saw dogs that needed help. And I just wanted to find a way to make their lives better because it has to be horrible to live life being afraid of everything. How would you describe a shy dog? Sure. So, and I will say that there are visually, there are similarities between the two. So you really have to pay attention to the details of what the dog is telling you in order to determine, are they shy or are they aggressive? So a shy dog is usually going to somewhat power away from you. Their weight is going to be back. They might whimper, they might cry, they might turn their head, but they're trying to get away. They don't want engagement. They're afraid of something. They just want to get away to safety. And sometimes in a classroom setting, that's behind a chair. It's behind a wall. They try to get into like a little cubby, like in an office space or behind their human. If we compare that to a dog, now let's also say that some of their reactions might appear to be aggressive. So a shy dog that has just been pressed time after time after time again, and they can't get away, they might not feel they have any other choice but to lash out because we haven't listened to everything else they've told us. So it's really important to pay attention to the shy dog to say, oh wait, they can't give me eye contact. They're trying to get away. Stop walking into their space, just stop and listen to what they're telling you because they can keep escalating how they're going to communicate to you. So it might come across as aggressive, but in fact, they've given you 10 other opportunities to recognize what they're trying to tell you. And somebody might, not that they're intentionally doing anything wrong, but they might not know what to look for. If we compare that to an aggressive dog, 
An aggressive dog is far typically, now every dog's an individual, so these are just general terms, but an aggressive dog is going to have most likely far greater vo vocalizations, growling, snarling, lunging, barking. Their weight is forward. Their tail is, you know, straight up, almost curved. We call it a flagging position and flicking back and forth. They are on high alert and they are ready to go. There is nothing about them that says they are going to try and retreat. And if you try to walk into them, bad things can happen, such as a bite. Yeah. <laughs> so we try to really make sure that dogs that come into shy dog classes truly are shy dogs and not aggressive dogs. Yes. Because there's a whole different class or workshop for dogs that are more reactive slash aggression because there's some different systems to work with them. But we're talking about the shy dogs. One of my questions was this protocol that you outlined, was it, is it appropriate for shutdown dogs? And then I saw in your article that you do address shutdown dogs. So I would love to chat with you a little bit, the difference between a shy dog and a shutdown dog. Boy, it's, I'm seeing more and more dogs that are what I would call a shutdown dog. And I like to call them a great example of a shutdown dog is like a puppy mill dog. And they, especially breeding mamas who have been in crates, they haven't been out, they've never had human touch. They just come out of the smallest world possible and then they get put into these homes. And for us, we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. You have carpeting and a bed and you get, you know, two to three meals a day. Maybe you get unlimited snacks. This is amazing. And the dog is like, I can't deal with any of it. So I am not going to move. I'm not going to participate. I'm going to make myself as small as possible and I'm done. Like they just can't even function in a class. And a great example, and I actually use this um, as one of the case studies in the article is we had a puppy mill breeding mama come in to the class and the first week of class, it was, I'm not even going to, it was heartbreaking. She literally curled up in a ball and she put her back pressed up against the wall and she would not move. She wasn't going to leave her spot. She wanted to see everything that was going on. And it took her nearly the full hour to even be able to use a very soft um, snuffle mat to work out meatballs. So it was incredibly high value, felt good to the touch, but even something as simple to us as working you know, as a great feeling snuffle mat was incredibly difficult for her. And in the end, she was doing a few hurdle jumps and climbing onto some objects and engaging with other individuals, which was really wonderful to see. That's incredible. I always think about, I volunteered briefly at a shelter where I just saw this dog just like pancaked, almost like acting like she was asleep, but I could tell she was incredibly shut down, overwhelmed. And the volunteer handling her, some guys came in and asked if they could pet her. And she was like, yeah. And for me, I'm looking at this going, no, don't let anybody touch this dog because there she shut down. She's overwhelmed. She's stressed out. Touching in that situation, especially from a stranger, isn't really um, encouragement or helpful. It might be from someone that she knows and trusts, but if anyone could just come up and, and, and touch a shut down dog, you're actually escalating those behaviors. Is that what you've found as well? 
Sure. And that's such a great example. So we can use petting as an example, and we can use offering your dog food as an example. So if we have a dog that's really shut down, my go-to is I'm going to grab a chair and I'm going to go sit in the vicinity of the dog. And it's their choice to engage or not to engage. They have autonomy. So maybe that takes me three weeks of doing that. And maybe somewhere along the line, I'm tossing some cheese or I'm tossing something because I'm trying to change the emotional response that the dog has to me to mean something good. But I'm not going to go in and I'm not going to physically handle touch. A lot of times those dogs shouldn't even be on a leash because we don't want them to be afraid try to run away and then get jerked. So that is an incredibly slow process. And if we keep going in, we escalate their stress. The same can be said for a dog that a shy dog that's stressing out or starting to check out in class. And the owner keeps saying, I use a check it out cue in class. So it means, hey, this item is okay you can go check it out. And so the owner has a piece of food and is like letting the dog sniff it and then tossing the food onto the item saying, go check it out. And then another piece of food in the dog's face, go check it out. If we keep at it with the dog, they just get so stressed out. It doesn't ease it at all. It actually increases their stress level. And that's a point that I I really like making too, because I hear a lot from clients like, oh, you're, you have food. So they're listening to you because you have food. And a big point I like to make is it's not just that I have food here, here's food, you do it. And they can't always get the same results in the same way because I know how to use the food. It's how we use the food. That's the big thing. So if you're, you're forcing an interaction or a choice, the dog's uncomfortable with coupled with food that doesn't do anything, even though, like you mentioned, the meatballs and the snuffle mat, the dog was too overwhelmed. So we really have to look at, and you bring this up a lot in the article of the individual too, and a lot of different options for that individual dog. If I'm stressed out and someone hands me an ice cream cone, even though I love ice cream, but I'm stressed, I don't care about that ice cream cone. Right. Exactly. Well, I wanted also to kind of touch back to on what you mentioned of how dogs are desperately trying to tell us stuff a lot of the times. And a lot of people don't know how to see that. So I love Sharag Patel's discussion of this as the whispers. Like if we don't know how to hear the whispers, we can't see it. And I love using that language when it comes to kids because kids can be sometimes bulldozers when it comes to dogs. So I try to tell them if we listen to the whispers, then they're not going to have to shout at us. And that's really what the barking is. So I love that. That's a great way to put it. Well, I also wanted to ask, Alicia, how did this opportunity happen for you? I know you've been doing Shy Dog workshops for a while. How many years have you been doing these workshops? I would say close to three or four years now, but it's really escalated since the pandemic. You know, I think with the opportunities of rescuing individuals has increased, you know, it becomes more readily available to people. It's in the news, it's on social media. So we have rescuing dogs, many that are coming in on transport, you know, nothing about them coupled with a pandemic and not being able to get out and socialize and do all of the things that we would typically do. And now that we're somewhat I guess we're technically in the pandemic, but now we're kind of coming out of it. I think our lifestyles have changed where we're not out and about as much as we used to be. So 
it, I haven't seen anything die off. And it really, over those last two years, it just escalated to the point where I just wanted to deep dive and figure out what I could do, leverage my knowledge and create a classroom setting because many of these dogs need to work around other dogs and people. It wasn't enough to do private lessons. They needed a classroom setting. And so how do we do that to be effective and give dogs space and time and educate the humans? So three or four years really kind of kicked up over during the pandemic. And now here I am, can't offer enough classes at the moment. Yes, those pandemic puppies, which we, I think you saw the writing on the wall when the pandemic first hit, because we did a pandemic puppy series that you uh, suggested. So you you knew it was coming and I don't think it's going to get much better. So classes like this are, are wonderful. I mean, I'm seeing lots of great results and I'm seeing happier, a little bit more well-adjusted, confident dogs, which also means happier owners. And so I hope that we can kind of continue to modify them over time as we learn more and we can be better at what we're already doing pretty well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many resources for reactivity, growly dog classes, you know, loud dog classes, but I really don't see that much out there around the shy dog. So I think this is a resource that is going to help a lot of people as well in other areas. Well, was there anything in particular you wanted to touch on from the article? Sure. So for your listeners, I don't know if they are students or trainers, but it's a message that is applicable to both of them. It's really important when we are running a shy dog class that we ensure the group has the right number of dogs. So it should be a smaller class size and it should be the right group of dogs. And sometimes that means having to ask an owner and their dog not to participate in that particular class. And I think it's hard for the trainer to deliver the message sometimes. And I think it's hard for the human or the handler to receive the message, probably because they're emotionally attached to their dog. They've been struggling. They've been trying different things. They thought this is what was going to help them. They come to class. And that first night, I have to call them afterwards and sometimes say, this is probably not the best fit for you. Um, but before I ever do anything like that, I think through what could help that dog. So when we talk to students, we can say, hey, not sure that this is the best chance, best opportunity for you for success right now, but to help you get here, here are some of the things we need to start working on to get you into a classroom setting. So I think it's really important to make sure we have the right students in the class. If that's not it, we need to provide them a a different solution in order to get there. They should have some communication with their dog or be able to communicate with their dog in some way. So yes, but there are times where people will register for a class and I have them fill out my intake form and the dog comes to class and all of a sudden different behaviors are being shown. Like the dog can't function and they had no idea that this is how their dog was going 
you know, to respond to being in a room with other dogs, or maybe they misread what they thought the dog was trying to tell them. And then they come to class and I see something completely different. Safety is a big thing when you get into working with animals, right? So whether you're running a puppy class or an obedience class or a tricks class, and then when you get into, you know, dogs with reactivity or shy dogs, it's safety keeps getting elevated in these situations. So I have to make sure that it's always the right group that are coming into this classroom setting. And there are just times where owners didn't recognize certain behaviors. And that doesn't mean that they can never do a shy dog class or that they're they're absolutely wrong. It's just the way the chemistry of the class was set up. They didn't quite fit in that particular situation. Absolutely. And we work with them and say, hey, here are some skills I would like you to start working on. Here's how you work on them. Here are some videos to show you how to do it. When you get these things done, let's meet. Let's check in again and see if you're ready. And so they still have support. They still have forward progression and trying to help their dog. And, you know, eventually they can make it into a classroom setting. So if someone doesn't have a class near them like this or workshop and they have a shy dog, what do you recommend? Where should they start? So I would recommend having a few skills under your belt. And that would include things like a watch, meaning having the dog divert their attention from something into, into the room and looking at you. I would have a really strong leave it again with leave it My leave it when I teach it is I ask the dog to leave it and the dog whips their head around and looks up at me and like says, what, what did you want me to do? Mm -hmm. So that's, again, it's another attention getter. I also like touches, rights, lefts, highs, lows, where that you can extend your hand and the dog can come up, touch your hand with their nose and we can start to play a game and that lessens the stress in the room dog engages with the human we want to make sure that they have ways to let go of the environment and fully redirect to their human the next thing i would do is try to find dependent on the dog i would either try to find an outside small attendance class If your dog struggles with getting inside a new building, this means that your dog has plenty of space to maneuver and not have to be in close proximity to other humans or dogs. And smaller class size means you might get the attention that you need. And then if your dog is afraid, they have some sound sensitivity, getting to an inside (laughs) class with lower attendance would probably be the best way to start. There's always, you know, private training and getting into a training studio, not necessarily at your home. That can be beneficial, but if your dog is afraid of other dogs or is afraid of going places and is afraid of people, that's where classroom type settings really come into play to try and help your dog. And always try to make sure that you have a trainer that understands 
positive reinforcement training. We are not going to pressure these dogs to do anything that they don't want to do. It's their choice. They have full autonomy to decide if they want to engage or not, and they can engage when they're ready. So that means if you're in an obedience class and you guys are learning sit stays and your dog's like, nope, I am not going to sit, but I'll calmly stand here. You're just going to take that. So the trainer should be aware that it's the dog's pace. It's the dog's choice. And they should always be using positive reinforcement methods. And that just reminds me too, that a good trainer is, I call ourselves doggy detectives because we're trying to get the information to figure out how to move forward. And if a trainer is stuck in, this is, this is what we do, this one thing, no matter the dog, then you're really getting away from that dog as an individual and finding the right solution for that, that dog. And I just thought of one other thing that's really helpful for pet guardians, and that is to learn some dog body language and start to be able to read and understand your dog because they're, they're communicating with you all of the time. They are telling you all the time, are they happy? Are they relaxed? Are they nervous? Or is it fearful? Are they in, you know, fight or flight mode? There is so much that you can learn from your dog, but you need to be able to read them from the tip of their nose to the tip of their tail. And my favorite book is Lily Chin's uh, Doggy Language. I've recommended this book to people. And when they first get it, they call me and they say, we needed a book for us, not our grandkids, because they're very simple illustrations. And I'm like, nope, it's actually for you. <laughs> and then once they get into it, they understand it. And then they're like, oh my gosh, this book made it so easy to understand what my dog has been trying to tell me all this time. And it's just a great book. So that would be the other thing I would, you know, get to understand your dog and what they are trying to tell you. Yes. I love that book as well. I recommend it to everyone and it's especially great for kids, but yeah, it's for everybody regardless of age. It's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. And it does. And it's one of the things I really talk to people about is that belly up. Sometimes dogs get on their back and, and show their belly because they do want belly rubs. And sometimes they're saying, no, thank you. Please give me space. That was a big one that I try to talk to people about. And the other one is, is licking. So sometimes our dogs lick our faces to say, hi, I love you. And sometimes they're saying too close, please go away. So it's so important to remember that dog, like we keep bringing up dogs are individuals and they'll use their you know, their bodies in different ways, but that is a great place to start. So we understand at least so many people think dogs communicate the way we do. And it's just, their language is so different. Very different. And once you can decode what your dog is trying to tell you, it can be a, just a game changer for your relationship with your dog. Mm -hmm. That's something I've been thinking about a lot because when I think about, because I like, my third dog has been really frustrating and overwhelming because, you know, of what she is. So I've really had to adjust a lot of things. And as I, you know, recover from mistakes or I adjust things, I realize I want her to trust me more than I want her to respect me. And I think a big thing in the dog training world we see is a lot is people demanding respect from our dogs, but relationships aren't really built on respect. They're built on trust. And we need our shy dogs to trust us if we're going to get anywhere with them. You're spot on. Well, Alicia, I am 
so excited for you. This is a, is a huge, exciting opportunity. I think this is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing and coming back on. Is there anything else you'd like to add to what we discussed? Just other than to pass along my appreciation for including me. And if anybody has any questions, you know, I do this for the love of it. People can find me on social media and I'm happy to field questions to the best of my ability without meeting an animal, but it's always nice to know that you have somebody that you can reach out to. And if I can help somebody in some way, I'm happy to do so. Yes, you have been, I mean, it's been such a game changer to have you as a resource for me and just to watch just how you show Liberty Bell as a hound. <laughs> I also saw, I think you posted about our hounds, the new pit bulls. <laughs> It's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're a special breed and you've got to change up. I had to change everything that I knew in order to help her. And we still have bad days. Everybody is going to have a bad day. I was teaching a class not too long ago and they're like, I thought you were bringing your dog. I'm like, I did. She's in the car. And they're like, well, get her out. And I'm like, she's not ready. And they're like, oh, you're just not, well, she's been here before, just have her come out. And I'm like, she's not ready. And 20 minutes later, I opened up the door, checked in on her, and she was finally ready to come out. So it's reading your dogs and understanding them. And they're all individuals and they all need special attention in some way. Yes. And there's going to be moments where we fail. I, I'm a dog trainer. I know a lot, but I fail all the time. And I just try to make space for that, it's okay. It's going to happen. And I'm going to do better next time. I'm with you. Sometimes I look back and I was like, you know, why did I do that? Why did I make her go outside at night when she's afraid of the dark to go to the, like, you know what I mean? It's, you always second guess yourself, but as long as we're not doing anything that physically harms them, they'll bounce back. We can bounce back and we're going to be okay for it. Yes. And they recover a lot better than we think they do. And I, I love that. I think it's from the puppy socialization book where um, they talk about deposits. So the more deposits we can put in to our dogs, when we do mess up, if we do have a misstep, then it doesn't take as much from the relationship as it would otherwise. So folks can follow you on Instagram at Philly Hot Dogs or um, on Facebook at Alicia Roberts Heronshook. Any other places? That's and where to find me. Perfect. And if people want to take your shy dog class, what location should they be near? Right now, I have classes being offered in like Skipback, Collegeville area. It's because I have a permanent place with all of my gear and it's inside and it's quiet and we have fields that we can go out to and work if working outside is appropriate and covered pavilions and things like that. So that's where I am right now. And that is the near the Philadelphia area, Southern Jersey. It is probably 45 minutes dependent on where you live in the Philadelphia area. So a little bit of a distance, but you know, if it would help your shy dog, you know, check it out. I think you could probably Google things. I don't know of any others right now in the area, but there's also Philly Unleashed has really talented trainers on board. And I know that they are equipped to help, but I don't know if they have that specific class. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's options. And if, if your dog trainer is committed to helping you, that's one thing I do in my classes too. If a dog is having a hard time, whether shy or reactive, 
I adjust in the moment to kind of help them be a little bit more comfortable. So dog trainers should be able to do that in general, or, you know, have that hard conversation sometimes like, oh, I don't think, I don't think this is a good fit. Or refer them to a different trainer. Like, oh, your dog doesn't like being in the car. It threw up seven times getting here. Hey, why don't you check out Lindsay over at Philly Unleashed? She's really great. She has a good, you know, understanding of shy dogs. Let's get you to somebody closer to you that can help you out. Like we collectively as trainers need to leverage us um, and lift each other up and support each other while we are supporting the dogs that we are in it to help to begin with. So your trainer should be able to, if they're not the right person, then they should hopefully know somebody who to refer you to. Absolutely. Even if that's remote, you know, it's uh, that's also an option to start. Sure. So many remote options right now too. Yes. Awesome. All right. So I am going to do the sign off and then I've got one final question for you. This has been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, certified dog trainer in Central Arkansas, and my guest today, Alicia Heronchuk. Music has been provided by Jim Giago of 7 Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify. And stick around for after music for some final advice from Alicia. Alicia, before we sign off completely, what advice do you have for someone who's realized that their dog is having a hard time and they don't even know where to begin? I would first ask a lot of questions. What do they mean by the dog is having a hard time? Does that mean inside the home, outside the home with humans and or with dogs? So I would try to start narrowing down suggestions for them based on the input that they are giving me. But I would also nearly always suggest reaching out to a veterinarian behavioralist to make sure that there isn't a medication component that we can use in conjunction with training. You know, training can take us a really long way, but if we can have medication component pulled into that training plan, it can be much easier for your dog, less stress. They can retain things better. They can be more accepting of things. So sometimes it's not a single one lane approach, but we need to talk to others to get additional information to come up with the best solution for that dog. Future editing Elizabeth here. After we had ended the podcast, we continue to chat because Alicia is a fountain of information and I always enjoy talking with her. And what came up in that extended conversation is some thoughts on food and using food with shy dogs and how we use that to reinforce behaviors and other, other ways that you can reinforce behaviors. So this is the continuation of that conversation. Enjoy. We probably could have talked about food in shy dog class because these dogs eat for an hour. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not just really giving them super high value, delicious things. It's you looked at me, great. You get a piece of food. You took a step towards me, great. You get a piece of food. You know, it's like we feed them so much. And sometimes people are like, 
my dogs had three sticks of cheese while they're here. And I'm like, great, they might have six or seven while they're here. And it's about the timing of the food and really rewarding all of the things that we want to see more of. And I even had shirts printed because I'm crazy like this. You know, reinforcement drives behavior. You know, pace management, it's not a race. Like I put like like the top 10 things on the back of my shirt because if I'm not saying it, I want you to see it and read it. It's hard. We're not just, what is it, wolf culture, cookie pushers? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And I do think it's kind of used as a way to sometimes demean what we do of like, oh, you're just shoving food in a dog's face. But if you're not using that food correctly, like we said, it it can cause an aversion. It doesn't in, you know, have any progress to it. If you don't know what you're doing and how to increase it then, or advance it, you're not getting anywhere with anybody. Right. So if you had a dog that you went in, you extended a greeting and the dog didn't reciprocate that greeting and retreated. And you went, oh, that's okay. And you toss them a treat and walk away. That's what you've rewarded. So you're saying to the dog, I want you to retreat from me. I don't want you to reciprocate my coming into your space. The reverse is if I walk two steps up towards a dog and the dog slightly returns my greeting, I toss a treat behind them and then I walk away. I don't ever lure them with food in my hand, particularly in the beginning. If once we have a decent relationship, I might try to hand feed. But the food component is incredibly important to change the emotional response to the fearful stimuli that's in the room. I'm something that's fearful, but if I am appropriately rewarding with food for good things that the dog is doing, no matter how small it might be, the dog sees me as a good thing and starts offering better behaviors than trying to cower and run away. Do you also reward that choice? So if a dog doesn't reciprocate, but walk away instead, do you still, would you still toss a treat in that situation? Are you saying you wouldn't? would depend on what the dog did. And that would be, that would play into reading the dog's body language. If I was approaching the dog and on the onset of my approach, the dog's ears were forward, its tail was up, its weight was a little forward, like not okay with me approaching. And I stopped and then the dog relaxed a little bit and dropped their tail and their weight kind of, they went a little bit more square with their weight and, re- and I saw some relaxation, even just a little bit that I would reward because I want to continue to help them learn to relax and know that that's what I want to see from them. But if I see no downshift, I'm going to hang out for a second because I don't want them to think that the weight forward and not being okay with me being there is going to send me away because I don't want them to practice that. I might hang out for a second. I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to offer engagement. I am not going to stand with my hands on my hips. I'm not going to wave my hands and talk because I'm, I like to talk with my hands a lot, but I'm going to hang out there for a few seconds. And then I'm just going to turn and walk away. And that will be their reward is me giving them their space back. The reinforcer is, would not be the food. It would be space space. and for any shy dog that i've come in contact with space can be nearly as valuable as high value 
reward item. 